This is a reading from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, found on page 977 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the mature, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gracious God and most merciful Father, you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your body, of your holy word. Assist us with your spirit that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your own image to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling pace of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this past summer, I got a chance to go on sabbatical. If you were here, you may remember that. Um, And during my sabbatical this past summer, I spent a lot of time in the United Kingdom. And two things really struck me while I was there. It wasn't that they drive on the wrong side of the road. So we're America, we decide what side the road everybody drives on. They drive on the wrong side. That was a joke, guys. And I, for some reason, uh, one of the things I found was really funny. They eat baked beans for breakfast. I don't know why they do that. It's weird. But they, every breakfast, I would get a side of baked beans, which I don't like baked beans, so I didn't really eat that part of my breakfast. But it wasn't those two things that struck me. The two things that struck me were, first, the tension between religion and secularism in the UK. And the other was the cultural pressures that the churches face. First, one of the things I noticed was the tension between secularism and religion. The churches in the United Kingdom specifically the ones I saw from the medieval period in London, are now basically landmarks for tourists. They sit in the middle of the bustling life of London, but they've largely become irrelevant. And there's some excitement, there's some pride there over the Christian history, but I couldn't help but feel spiritual darkness while I was there. And I couldn't also be just. Like, I couldn't help but be distracted by the hundreds of pride flags that draped across Regent Street in London, which is a reminder that the United Kingdom in many ways has been conquered by an ideology. Second, my family and I went to Liverpool with some friends from Cornerstone Church World, which is a part of Liverpool. And this church lives and breathes hospitality. They proclaim the gospel, and they empower and grow their small groups. They plant churches, and they go on mission together. Yet one thing broke my heart when I talked to the pastor, who's a friend of mine, and when he made clear to me, he said, Evan, 
We're ready to plant another church, but we have no leader to plant it. And he wasn't offering me a job in those moments, but he said, Evan, because of all the cultural pressures, too many are afraid to stick their necks out for the gospel. He said, a ton of people will be assistant pastors and associate pastors. Absolutely no problem, but nobody wants to be the lead guy because of the pressures. So why do I bring this up? Why do I bring up the United Kingdom? I like to track with the UK because the US is typically right behind. The UK is noticeably post-Christian, and we seem very much headed in that direction, and many missiologists would actually say that we already are there. And is that a foregone conclusion, like we're going to look like the UK? Absolutely not, but it seems likely. In the United Kingdom, gospel-centered churches and Christians are treated as backwards and with skepticism. And pressures mounting for them to affirm the cultural creed. So while it's wonderful, it was wonderful to spend time in the UK and spend time with my friends from Cornerstone, I would be remiss if I didn't take what I saw there and consider what that means for us here. Based on church history, there are two options ahead for us. Either the church will experience the revival of the Holy Spirit which is what I'm hoping for, or pressure from the culture around it. For revival, you actually don't have to look that far back to the past and moments and movements like the Jesus movement. As for pressure, we just have to look overseas and to actually, truthfully, in many of our backyards. And sometimes, by God's grace, revival and pressure go hand in hand in like places like China where they had a lot of pressure, and that spurred revival. It's a really interesting thing if you ever want to like study how church growth happened in China. What the Chinese government did, they said, you know what we're going to do? Is, this is for free today. They're like, we're going to split up all the Christians all around the empire, and so that they don't, they're not with other Christians, they can't gather for church. So they split everybody up, and what they did is the Christians just told their neighbors about Jesus, and the church just kept growing. So even God can use the pressures to bring about revival. However, our brothers and sisters in the UK are experiencing the pressure right now. And I don't know what's ahead for us. It might be revival. It might be pressure. It could be both. But I take great comfort in God's sovereign plan and his love for us. Jesus promised to build his church. Jesus promised to build his church and the gates of hell, he says, shall not prevail against it. So no matter what comes, we have that promise. So movements will come and go, but the church will still be here. Yet if we take the call of Ephesians seriously, if I take my job seriously, based on what we read in Ephesians and all of our leaders take their jobs seriously, our job is to prepare and equip you in the present for the future. And so what I began to do was sabbatical. My whole time, every morning when I spent time in prayer, I said, God, what do you want for our church for the next five years? I said, God, I, I don't want to waste this sabbatical. I want to come back and say, God, like, what can, I want to give people something in the next five years. What's ahead for us? So I said, based on my time in the UK, then I said, okay, God, how do you want me to equip 
our people over the next five years for what's ahead. What are the basic things, Lord, that you would have for us, that you would like us to do that would prepare us for revival or pressure? How can we be prepared rather than be left off guard? We don't want to get caught off guard if pressure comes. But we don't want to be shocked if revival comes either. We should have been doing the things that would spark revival. And so I ask God these questions almost every day of my sabbatical. And so today I want to share those thoughts with you. We're celebrating five years today as a church. And according to stats, that means we have five more years of being a church plant. <laughs> it's crazy to think about, right? But if you're a parent, you know five years old, you're not giving the kid the keys of the car yet, right? We launched in January 2019, but our story actually starts in 2017 with a Bible study in my home. We had one Bible study in my home, which eventually grew to two Bible studies. So we moved towards planting, and we had a wonderful launch Sunday, January 2019, at Klein Life Jewish Community Center. Some of you were there. A lot of you weren't. And if you're on the setup team, I'm sorry if I'm giving you a little bit of, like, <laughs> PTSD right now of setting up that room. But that's what we did. And over 100 people attended that Sunday. And we, you know, from that, we kind of tracked and we had about like 80 people who were part of our church until this thing you may have heard of, COVID, happened. Where we dropped down to less than 40 people who are part of our church. Not 40 people come on Sunday who are part of our church. It's when we start to regather for worship. By God's grace, we were then given the offer to move here to Third Reformed. We used to have a sign below the sign. Now we have a sign that's part of the sign. And now, by God's grace, we have over 100 people who are part of our church. And I don't, I don't bring this up to say, hey, guys, good job. Pat yourselves on the back. But look at God's faithfulness to us. So we say, hey, how's God brought us these five years? We can trust that God's going to be faithful for the next five. And we're even bigger numerically than we were when we said we were going to launch Liberty Bristol. Right? This past fall, we said we're going to launch Liberty Bristol, and a bunch of us were like, oh, gosh, where are we going to get people when they leave? God has brought more people. And it's always been our intention to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Northeast Philadelphia and the surrounding community. And over the past five years, we desired to bring the freedom of the gospel to everyone in our region. And so for the next five years, uh, we need to see what's on the horizon. Is it pressure? Is it revival or both? We need to build on some foundational strategies for the future to then help us know what we're going to do and how passages like the ones today Help us with that. The passage today reminds us that Jesus has supplied all we need to follow him on mission, no matter what lies ahead. No matter what lies ahead, Jesus has given us everything we need to be on mission for him. So for the next five years, we want to remind ourselves this, that there's a real battle going on for the hearts and minds of people in our region. There's a real battle. And I don't want to take the battle motif too far, but the Bible does talk about it a lot, that there's a real battle going on, and we need to follow Jesus into that battle. 
Every Christian, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus here today, you have a mission. You're part of a mission. It's probably a better way of saying it. You participate in a mission, the mission of God, or as theologians have called the Missio Dei. We follow Christ on his mission. So that means at, at Liberty Northeast, as Liberty Northeast, we need every member actively participating in the Missio Dei, in the mission of God. For you to actually live out what God desires for you as a follower of Jesus, is to, you actually need to live in the mission and participate in the mission that God has put on his church. And so with that, our word for the year will be mission. We have always pick a word for the year. This year, it's going to be very much mission, Okay. Very simple. Not mission barbecue. Sorry to this this point, but maybe we'll have mission barbecue one day to remind everybody about mission. All right. We'll have the elders make that happen. But somewhere along the line, the past five years, let me, this is what I have to be honest with. I look back in the last five years and say we did a lot of great things, and there's some things we haven't done really well. And one thing, somewhere along the line, we start to lose our missional edge. Somewhere along the lines, we started to go, you know what, let's think about us and what we need, not what the region needs. Somewhere we along the lines, we said, you know, let's think about how, what our volunteers need. Let's not ask people to do too much. Let's not ask people, let's not push people and encourage them to live on mission because we don't want to send them away. Somewhere along the lines, and I did it too, we said, you know what, let's make it about us. And we, so we need to recover that missional edge. There is no falling asleep in the middle of the battle. You fall asleep, you cost lives. You're apathetic in battle, you cost lives. You're comfortable in battle, you cost lives. Your life and the people around you. So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 today, and we're going to work backwards. All right, do something a little bit different today. We're going to work backwards to see how we participate in Christ's mission. So we're going to look at the goal of mission in 15 and 16. We're going to look at the threat of mission, which is verse 14. Sorry, the threat to mission in verse 14. And the gifts for mission in 11 through 13. So the goal of mission, the threat to mission, and the gifts for mission. And then next week, we're going to circle all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians and start there. So the goal of mission. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. Paul says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The goal of mission is the worship of the true God revealed in Jesus. Paul here, what Paul does is he compares the church to a body. Did you catch that? And he says the body is connected to the head, Jesus. So the goal is for everyone who's part of the body to be connected to Jesus through faith. We're supposed to be growing in spiritual maturity and becoming more like the head, Christ. And God has given Jesus' church to the world to bring the world to worship him, to be connected to the head. God wants everybody to be part of the church, part of the body of Christ, to be connected to Christ. You cannot, and we said a thousand times, you do not get Jesus without his church. There's no head without a body. And there's no body 
definitely was up the head. The goal of mission is worship. Why? John Piper says it like this. He says something like this. Mission exists because worship doesn't. He says, God is ultimate, not man. So when God ushers in new creation, our mission will end. But worship won't end. In new heavens and new earth, we'll still worship. So, he says, what should get us out of bed in the morning, what should fuel us, what should excite us, is our mission given by God in Christ to bring everyone to worship him. That's what should get us out of bed as Christians. Psalm 86, 9 says, All nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Worship isn't the music on Sundays. And it's not just what we do when we gather, although both those things are vital. But all of life is worship. And with that, we either worship ourselves or other things or we worship God. And here's the kicker. How we live reveals what we worship. How you live reveals what you worship. If you lack generosity or you spend beyond your means, reveals you worship money. If, you t- we turn, if I turn my life upside down and put every activity that my kids have, everyone that can be involved in, anyone imaginable, I get them plugged in everything and we're driving them everywhere and I'm slinging nuggets in the back all the time, what does that reveal? It reveals I worship my kids or I worship what I wish my life was like and my parents did for me. Comfort and apathy reveal we love ourselves. So with that being said, if the whole point, the goal of mission is worship, what should be our foundational strategies for that? And there's three ones we want to focus on in the next five years. And they're real simple. You're like, this, has this changed? No. It's always been the case. But we want to make sure we're getting back to this, right? Discipleship, evangelism, and prayer. We're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Before Jesus ascends into heaven in Matthew 28, what does he tell his disciples to do? Go make more disciples. Jesus never says, go make converts. He never says, go make disciples of your political ideology. He says, no, go make disciples for me through baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So we will, discipleship is a foundational part of what we want to do. But also evangelism. Victory for the hearts and minds of people in our region, our world, only begins to happen if we share the gospel with them. We need to invite others to repent of their sin, to turn their lives from worship of self and other things to worshiping the living God. So regardless of revival or pressure, we're called to share the gospel. Supposed to share the gospel with everyone we interact with. So Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, How then will they call on him in in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And prayer. We can have a sense of what's going to be on the horizon, but we truthfully don't know what the future will bring. But somebody else does. So we need to build greater reliance on the one who knows the future through prayer. So my question for you is how are you doing with those things right now? How are you doing with discipleship, with evangelism and prayer? Are you growing in spiritual maturity? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you in the same place you were a year ago? And I hope if you've been part of our church, not where you were five years ago. What or who does your life reveal you worship? Do you worship yourself? Do you worship other things? Your kids? Your finances? Or do you worship God? When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? I have like tons of tracks upstairs, real simple stuff. And they aren't your like grandparents' tracks, you know? Like they're like, they've been updated, they look cooler. You know, they don't have those interesting comics in them that your parents may have had, right? But it gives you opportunity to say, like, if you don't know how to explain it, just walk somebody through that. Is there someone in your life who needs to know the gospel, who needs to hear it for the first time? Who is that? What's your prayer life look like? Does it look like 1 Timothy 2, 1, where Paul says, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He goes on to say for kings and rulers. Like how many times have you thanked God for your president? When was the last time you prayed for him? You might not love him, but he says pray for him. When was the last time you prayed for your neighbors? I have, my, my neighborhood is, I think it's Summerton, they said like Western Europeans, there's very little of us. We have a lot of immigrants. I have, I have a lot of Muslim neighbors. I truthfully, I don't pray for them that often, and I should. Does your prayer life look like what Jesus says in Matthew 9, 38? Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Have you asked God to send more laborers to Liberty Northeast? And please, like, I don't want to be the only one praying for that. Years ago, some of you started praying for uh, boomers to start coming to our church and boomers start showing up. It's true. This really happened. The goal of mission is to worship the true God revealed in Jesus, but there is a threat to our mission. Look at verse 14. Paul says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be ta children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The greatest danger to mission is distraction. Have you ever noticed our world is built on distracting you? Young people, you notice that there's a device in your pocket that constantly nudges you to pay attention to it. Constantly. But how many of us are thinking about work tomorrow and not focused here? How many of us check our emails when we're with our kids? There are teams of people who get paid millions of dollars to distract you through things like advertising, 
When you drive down 95, like you're constantly distracted by billboards, right? If you're not looking at your phone, which you shouldn't be, you're distracted by billboards. To tell you what you have isn't enough, and you need to have something they'll give you. Paul also warns of distracting teaching. He says, every wind of doctrine. There are these things that people teach that can pull us away from what God calls us to do in the Bible. For example, there's people who will say, God wants you to be comfortable, healthy, and wealthy. It's not true. It's not the Bible. Jesus must have been doing something really wrong. Or you'll hear people say, God doesn't care what people do in their bedrooms. He loves everyone. It's not true. But we can get distracted by that. There's a real battle going on for the hearts and minds of people in our region. And the the devil desires to distract them. He desires to distract us from worshiping Jesus and have us worship other things. Distraction from mission are attacks from the devil. The devil knows he can't beat God. So who's he go to? You. Your neighbors. The people in our city. The devil doesn't want Liberty Northeast to survive. He doesn't want more people reaching the ultimate goal of worshiping Jesus. So sometimes the devil attacks in obvious ways, and those are the ways we typically think of like demonic oppression. But more often than not, the way the devil attacks is by distracting you. So where might he be distracting you from a mission right now? If we turn all of our focus internally, It becomes all about making Liberty Northeast a wonderful, comfortable place for those of us who are already here. Where does church start to become about you? Do you go out of your way to meet people you don't know? Do you pick up trash or sweep up dirt because you know that might deter a visitor? I used to work for a company and they used to say, trash is everyone's problem. You don't go, oh, we'll wait till the custodian team gets that. No, it's everybody's problem. Do you not serve because it's going to take you out of your comfort zone? Do you not volunteer for outreaches because you think, you know what, someone else will handle that. Somebody else will take care of it. Has your home meeting adopted like a cliquish posture with insider language and inside jokes? And so when people come in, they don't know the insider language. They don't know the inside jokes, so they don't fit. Look, it's, a, it's good to care about your own spiritual growth. And it's good to care about those who are already here, and I'm not knocking that. But when that becomes our main focus, and we stop concerning ourselves with the battle going on for the hearts and minds of people in here and out there, people in our region are struggling. Northeast Philadelphia is the most underserved, underchurched section of Philadelphia. And newsflash, it's also the biggest People in our region are struggling. They have sin that needs forgiveness. They have questions that need to be answered. They need shoulders to cry on, and they even need cheerleaders. But when we become distracted and by making church about us and about me, we lose our focus and we've forgotten our mission and we're no longer doing what God has called us to do. That's why we oftentimes talk about, like, this isn't a place for consumers, just not. God doesn't, God wants more for your life than consuming. He really does. Let's take him up on that. But the threat to that, 
The threat to what God wants for your life is to be distracted with other things. And listen, look, I grew up in the church. This is not me saying every time the doors are open, you got to be here. It's not me saying that. So don't send me an email or say, oh, Pastor Evan said we have to be, get the kids, they're all like angry all the time about you like being here and like, well, Pastor Evan says we got to be here every time. That's not what Pastor Evan said. But start making small adjustments. Small adjustments to focus yourself not on what is happening here and what was comfortable for us, but how do we better reach people out there? And by reaching people out there, we also reach people in here. And then lastly, the gifts for mission. Look at the first part of that passage, all the way back to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul is saying is God has gifted his church with equippers to equip his people for mission. I took my boys to the Sixers game this week. They went, we went when they played the Bulls, so they won. And we were excited to see Joel Embiid play. Like, we weren't sure we were going to see him. He's been fighting an injury. And he puts up 30 points. He actually, actually has a triple-double that game. And look, scores like Embiid get all the praise, and they should get a lot of praise. But somebody has to get Embiid the ball. Or he's not going to be able to score. And the primary person who gives the ball to Embiid is the point guard. That's why there's always concern who's the point guard. Every team needs a good point guard. I don't know if you watch soccer. All right, my team is Manchester United. One of the biggest problems with Manchester United is they can't get the ball to their strikers. That's a problem. You can have the best strikers in the world, but if he doesn't have the ball at his feet, it means nothing. Too often churches treat pastors and elders like the primary scorers. They got to do everything. But God knows this isn't a good model for mission. Instead, leaders should be equippers who equip God's people for mission. Benjamin Merkel says that leaders equip the church that carry the work of ministry effectively. The best leaders are the ones who delegate by equipping others to do the mission with them. Scorers need pastors. Pastors need scorers. Pastors and elders need members. Members need pastors and elders. Paul says that leaders are gifts from God to his people for the sake of equipping you for mission. And he says, who are the leaders? He says it here. They're apostles, right? Those are the apostles in the New Testament who gave us the New Testament. Prophets, there are people who guide and direct the church based on God's word. Evangelists go place to place to share the gospel. Pastors shepherd and look after the church and teachers develop and train the church. And except for apostles, all these exist today. And there can be overlap and gifting of leaders. For instance, pastors also teach. But not all teachers are pastors. But, N.T. Wright says, the main point of certain people having special roles is so that every single Christian and the, whole, the church as a whole may be equipped for the work of, their, of service. And he says this, listen to this, make no mistake. Verse 12 indicates clearly that the point of God calling people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers is so that every 
Christian can serve in the way they are called to do for the building up of the whole body. God has a mission in the world to call all people to worship him. And he sent Christ to come and die for us so we can be part of his mission. And he's given the church to carry on that mission. And he doesn't say, hey, go ahead, figure it out. First he says, I'll be with you always until the end of the age. But then he says, I've given you leaders as gifts for that mission. And together we participate in his mission today. So here's what I want to do from here. I just want to say here, here's how, what Liberty Northeast is going to do. And here's what we're going to ask you to do, okay? So take everything I said in mind. What do we plan to do the next five years? Sunday mornings will continue to be the primary place where we gather for community and worship. And this will be the place where we act as a launching pad for mission. That's why we send you every Sunday with a, a charge and a blessing from Scripture, because you're going out. This is the launching pad. But we're going to shift the majority of on-the-ground mission to be done by groups and individuals. How? Three ways. Advancement, empowerment, and development. First, we're going to advance the gospel in the region and in our lives. So we have a goal in the next five years to plant one more additional church in the next five years. We're launching Liberty Bristol, and then we got one more we're shooting for. Next five years to advance the gospel in our region. We're going to have two sustained routine outreaches every year. Okay, we're always going to have a, probably a Halloween outreach and an Easter outreach. They might look different every year. We don't know, but that's what we're going to have. We're committed to doing outreaches to let the community know that Jesus loves them and their church, the church does too. And then we're going to institute a prayer ministry. We need to focus on prayer. We pray a lot on Sundays, but we really need focused prayer. Then empowerment. We're going to empower smaller groups to move the life and mission of Liberty Northeast forward. And home meetings are going to play a larger role in this. So what we're going to do, because we're going to ask more of home meetings, is we're going to start scaling back the top-down programming. And we're going to strategically empower more grassroots programming. So, for example, you'll see a lot less events announced on Sundays the next five years. Maybe to the point where we're just announcing special worship services and outreaches. We might get to that point because we're empowering home meetings to hang out together, to have fun together. And with that, money always follows vision. So like our money is gonna be start shifting towards empowering smaller groups of people. Because this, listen, for me, this is the thing. If God forbid, Lord, please hear us, hear our prayer. If there's ever another pandemic, you can't stop 10 people meeting in somebody's backyard. You won't be able to stop that. You can shut this down. Or God forbid, Lord, please hear our prayer. We get kicked out of this building. And for a few weeks, we got to go, hey, just meet with your home meetings. We're not going to die. Too many churches have focused, over-focused on the gathering to the detriment of its people and its mission. 
And so we want to keep doing that. We also want to develop you. We want to develop and train new leaders. We also want to start developing heads of family. We need to invest more into dads and heads of family. And we need to invest more in the next generation to carry on the mission of Liberty Northeast. If you're in Gen Z, you're going to get probably an email. Well, your parents will get an email. You guys on the email. Well, uh, parents will probably get an email inviting you to a brainstorming session for Gen Z. Say, hey, how can we be better at this? How can we care for you better? How can we actually start empowering you? And we're going to start to create a leadership funnel. And then here's, all we're, here's what we're asking you to do the next year. We're not saying, hey, the next five years, look, five years is not promised us. Even the next year is not promised us. Because of our experience with COVID, I'm like, hey, maybe let's just ask people to do things for one year. All right? We need your support. We need your time, talents, and resources to go towards this. As far as advancement goes, we're going to send out Liberty Bristol in the fall. Either join them or invite others to join us. But both of us should be working to invite people. Hey, you live in the Bristol area? You should go to that church. Hey, oh, friend or coworker, you live near my church? You should come here. Stop, listen, stop worrying about what people are going to think when they get here. Start thinking why they need this. Well, they might not like this, okay? They might find this weird. Guys, we believe in someone who is raised from the dead. As far as everyone is concerned, that's pretty weird. So everything else we do is going to be a little bit weird. But think about why they need to be here, not what they're going to get when they get here or what they're going to like. And then volunteer in Liberty Kids. We, by God's grace, you guys are doing the natural church growth thing. I love it. Keep having kids. But our zero to four-year-old class is like bursting at the seams. We need to multiply that class. So if you're like, I need to plug in and get more involved, if you've been here at least three months and you can pass a background check, please jump in, talk to Rachel, talk to me. We'll get you plugged in. Um, we're also going to be offering intentional post-church invitations like every other month. We're going to say, hey, this group is going to go out to lunch after church. If you want to join them, go with them. We want to draw people closer together. So if you're interested in doing that or being one of the people who lead that, please talk to David. He's in the back in our first ever Liberty T-shirt. He's back there. We're committed to growing in underrepresented generations in our church. So look, boomers, Gen X, Gen Z persons, we did a great job of millennials, good work. But invite others, despite what age they are. Don't be like, you know what, there's, we're a church of young families and you might not fit in super well. Just be like, hey, just come. Come, check it out. Empowerment, we're going we're to ask you each, please, start meeting with somebody. Start meeting with somebody and discipling each other. Just meet regularly one-on-one -on -one for mutual encouragement and accountability. Just, hey, read a passage of scripture. Go through the book of John. Go through, read one psalm every time you're together and just talk about it. But we hope that 30% of adults will start meeting regularly one-on-one -on -one with each other. And then be flexible. There's going to be that shift in home meeting structure. We need non-elders leading home meetings. We want to start empowering people to do it. So if you're like, hey, you know, I would like a shot at that, talk to your home meeting leader, and we can start you in that process. And spend more time together outside of home meeting night. I, I enjoy the fact that my home meeting texts when it's like somebody's sick or there's something that happened, and that we're like, hey, we're going to go to this. Anybody want to come? That's good. We should be doing more of that. If anybody gets you and doesn't think you're crazy for believing what you believe, it's the people in your home meeting. <laughs> and in development, participate. Look, we're going to we're gonna do more men's and women's things, like very like strategic things. We're going to do more Bible memorization and catechism across age groups for the sake of witness in the world. 
There's a lot of other messaging going on. We want to make sure our kids, our teens, and even us, we're learning what we believe. And there's going to be things called missional labs starting, which are just going to be things that kind of empower you. Uh, in old school church, you might call that Sunday school. In our church, we're calling them missional labs because they're going to have a little bit more of a missional bent for witness in the world and mission. But look, this all may seem like a lot. I shared a lot with you, but here, here's what it boils down to. Listen, this is what, pay attention to me right now. You weren't paying attention at all. This boils down to, we're getting back to basics. That's what it all boils down to. Boils down to. We're getting back to basics. No matter what's ahead, we leaders are called by God to equip you to follow Christ into battle for the hearts and minds of those in our region. We're going to do that with discipleship, evangelism, and prayer. And from those things, we're going to advance the gospel. We're going to empower smaller groups of people. And we're going to work to develop one another for mission. That's it. Back to basics. Recover missional edge. And we can do this. And praise God. This passage reminds us Jesus has already supplied us everything we need for his mission.